I mean, we're going to see so many testimonies of God's goodness today. That's, that's our first big, well, not even our first, but that's a big one. Welcome back, Diego. So good to see your whole family. Let's go to the next ones, all right? Oh, man, so many. So I'm going to start with a quiz today. You won't get a grade. It's just a quiz for a conversation. Uh, number one, which American holidays call for joyful celebration? Go ahead and yell a couple out. Fourth of July, yes. Christmas. Easter. All right, we can stop right there. Number two, what symbols and activities help us remember these holidays? Fireworks. What was it? Stars? Chocolate? Is that what you said? Amen. What else? Cross? Songs? Excellent. Picnics? Very good. Trees? Christmas trees? Sugar? All right. On and on and on. That's good. We've got lots of symbols and activities. Number three, now, meditate on this. How would our country be different if we didn't have any of these? There's a quote that says, a country who ceases to know its history ceases to be a country. Pretty heavy thought, huh? The fact is that stories and celebrations, holidays, symbols, activities, all those things that we do on a regular basis help us shape our lives, help us remember our past, help us know who we are. Because things that happen in the world that shape the world, that shape us, we don't want to forget them, right? It's what the kids were doing up here a moment ago when they were waving the palm branches. And I know over the years, our understanding of what all that is about grows. I know when I was a kid, I, did, I saw it every year, which actually compelled me to learn more about it. What does all that mean? As the people on that Palm Sunday, waved palm branches saying to Jesus, Hosanna, to the King of Kings. And we do that up here with the kids because we don't want to forget, as Jesus' people, all the significance of what he did for us. And oh, we're going to unpack so much of that today. That moment was the triumphal, of entry, triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to the crowds, waving the palm branches, shouting Hosanna, because they thought, which means, oh, save us, because they thought he was going to save us, save them from the Roman Empire, from their oppressive rule. But of course, we know now that he rode in on a donkey, not a war horse, in humility to conquer, not the Romans, but sin and death once and for all. Praise God. That's what was happening, and that's what we want to remember and commemorate. He rode in on Sunday, he died on the cross on Friday, and he rose from the dead the next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, which we'll celebrate. And ever since that week, it's been called Holy Week, and we enter Holy Week this very day. And I want to prepare you in so many ways for your own home and your own worship of God all throughout this week until the glorious celebration on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter. May we never forget, amen? May we never forget, but only have more of an appreciation and understanding. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Exodus. You'd think, that's not a Passover text, or is it? That's what we're gonna look at today. If you didn't get a, a bulletin with the sermon notes in it and would like one, raise your hand. Our man Chris is always ready to hand those out. Go ahead and raise your hand. The, the sermon notes help follow along, to be sure. 
Okay, now Christians obviously were not the first ones to do things to remember. Christianity's 2,000 years old. World history is older than that. The Jewish people established the Passover feast 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The Passover feast was established by God and became Israel's number one feast, festival, celebration, holiday of the year. And we're going to see that today. This is the text that we enter today, the Passover feast. The Passover feast, you have to understand at the outset, centers on a lamb. Remember the lamb is the sermon title today. I have anticipated this moment all of this year so far, 2021, as we mapped out the sermon preaching calendar and the texts and the, and the calendar of the year. All these things are colliding on this day, and I've been looking forward to this day ever since uh, before January, actually. We arrive at the Passover in our Exodus series, Passover which centers on the lamb who 1,500 years later will cry out, Hosanna in the highest, unbeknownst to them that on that day in Jerusalem, they were selecting, those people waving the palm branches, they were selecting the final Passover lamb of all time, Jesus. Now flash back 1,500 years before that to the first Passover. And that's the text we're in today. Today and this week and next weekend and forevermore, we're going to set out, just as Israel did 3,500 years ago, to remember the Lamb. Now, they knew it, the Lamb, that, that they sacrificed, as we'll see today. They knew it, the Lamb, as God's promised future salvation and the salvation from the death angel uh, of that day. We know him the Lamb, with a capital L, now as the fulfillment of God's salvation. Today we're going to look at the original Passover events and how 3,500 years of remembering, of remembering, of celebrating, has brought us to salvation. We're aware of it. We learn it. We heard the good news because people remembered it. And forward, forevermore, as the world moves on towards freedom which is the series title of the book of Exodus, Moving the World to Freedom. Now, to review, in case you weren't here in the last few weeks, in pride, in pride, Pharaoh in Egypt had asked, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, that I should obey him? And God answered with the ten plagues. And he answered very thoroughly against the gods, the false idols, the false things that Egypt attributes all of God's glory to, God shows them unworthy of being worshipped. Only he is worthy of being worshipped. Then last week we asked the question and we found out which God, which Egyptian God, was the 10th plague directed to. Does anybody remember? Pharaoh. Very good. So Pharaoh considered himself to be a God. The nation worshipped him as God, the son, the savior, the son of Ra. All this is terribly blasphemous and false, keeps us away from God, rejecting God, defaming God, and God, we learned, will not share his glory that's only due him as the one true God, the one triune God, the Father, the Son, 
the Holy Spirit. So to restate an important point made last week, we have to understand the 10th plague in order to understand the Passover. And we have to understand the Passover in order to understand the Lord's Supper, which Jesus turned into the Lord's Supper. We have to understand the Lord's Supper in order to understand what it commemorates, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves us. So go back all the way to the 10th plague where that began, and that's where we are today. The good news of Jesus' body broken, the blood shed for our sins, is pictured today. So the first point here today is to remember the lamb, our substitute. He was broken and bloodied for us, for our sin. He's our substitute. Remember the lamb, our substitute. Now, there are several important points to remember and commemorate and lead us into worship all throughout chapter 12. It's a big chapter. Um, So we're going to go through them right now. The first that we want to remember and proclaim is that the lamb is at the center of God's big story. We're looking at a lamb, we're looking at the lamb, and we're looking, not only, it's, it's a good time to be reminded that Exodus is a great story, and it's filled with lots of really great stories, but it's only just one part of the big story of the whole Bible, the whole universe, of which we are still living in right now and are very much a part. This church right here is very much a part of the whole story of God, the big story. And at the center of all the universe and all this is one, Jesus. It's all about him. Jesus, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb runs throughout the story and still is today. Let's meet him and remember him always. For Israel, the Lamb is at the center of the Passover meal And the Passover meal is the center of what makes them a people, what makes them who they are, just like the holidays we talked about at the beginning. For Christians, the lamb, Jesus, is at the center of what he transformed the Passover into, the Lord's Supper, and what it commemorates, the saving gospel of Jesus. It's central to our entire existence. So remember again, 1,500 years later, they selected Jesus as the final Passover lamb on Palm Sunday. There's no other religion like Christianity. Any other religion is ultimately about yourself. It's about my moralism, my doing good, getting to whatever the definition of heaven is based on how good I am, living a decent life, how powerful I get, how proudful I can be, how rich and famous I can become. But Christianity stands completely alone, unique, because at the center of Christianity is not everything pride-filled, but the bloody death of a helpless victim, an innocent victim, who because of his humility was glorified above all, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Humility meets glorification. Christianity is unique in teaching this. Now we enter our text and see God's instructions that unfold to proclaim all of this and for us to remember. The first is the offering of the lamb, offering the lamb. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, God gives instructions on offering the lamb. 
The moment of God setting Israel free from their long, torturous bondage, slavery in Egypt was about to happen, and God was making sure that they would never forget it. Never forget it. Follow with me through verses 1 through 12. First verses 1 through 6. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So the entire calendar of the nation of Israel starts on the Passover. It's all centered on the Passover. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb per household. Verse 4 is interesting. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to eat, what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. So there are provisions right from the get-go if your family's too poor to buy a lamb. That'll come back later. Verse 5 now. This is very significant. Every part of this. Your lamb shall be without blemish because what is Jesus? The perfect spotless lamb of God. Here it is. This is where it starts. Without blemish. A male a year old, take it from the sheep or the goats, keep it to the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, all together, the whole assembly, shall kill their lambs at twilight. At twilight. And this sets in motion and prophesies Jesus, the final lamb without blemish, who will die at twilight on Passover 1,500 years later when the fullness of time comes for God to send his son, our savior. Verse seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two, side, two, two sides of the doorpost and on the upper doorpost of the houses in which they eat it. Here are these instructions from God. Everyone who believed God and obeyed God was to do this. And by doing this, they were given salvation. That night, what was it that they obeyed? First, to believe God, and then they took the blood of the lamb, the lamb without blemish that was sacrificed for their salvation, and they spread it on the doorposts and on the crosspost. Forever and constantly being a picture, their salvation was in the blood of the lamb. Our salvation is in the blood of the final lamb sacrificed. The lamb who they selected as they waved palm branches on Palm Sunday, who would be crucified on the cross on Friday. And you can just meditate on these pictures that have been symbolized by God for 3,500 years. And we haven't forgotten. No, Lord willing, we'll continue to grow in our understanding and worship of God that he proclaimed all along. Continuing in the text that was written about Jesus 1,500 years prior to Jesus coming to the earth, God further instructs in verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, communion, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Here's some more symbolism and more meaning from God. This coming Saturday at our Passover Seder, we've been talking about it for weeks, can't wait, it's here uh, this Saturday. We're gonna eat the unleavened bread 
and the bitter herbs. And remember, and this is what we're instructed to remember, that Israel's slavery in Egypt was bitter. And our slavery to sin before Jesus saved us was bitter. But Jesus saved us from that as God saved them from their slavery. The unleavened bread, the meaning for that is given. Verse 12 comes to a state. Okay, verse 12 comes to a statement. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This verse, if you just look at it, really kind of summarizes a lot of the things we've been talking about in the last several chapters, over the last several weeks. This is the plan that God has been talking about, that he's been prophesying, and that he's been warning about that will happen, and here it is. He's saying, I will. That's the God's sovereignty. We talked about that. It's happening right now. And look what else this verse says. God had called Israel my firstborn son several times. Israel, my firstborn son. That was kind of one of his names for the nation of Israel. Israel, my firstborn son. And we get into some of the theology of the firstborn son here. We're going to develop that as the morning continues. But Egypt had persecuted and killed God's firstborn son, and now a just penalty was about to be served. And that Yahweh, the one true God, will execute judgment on all false gods. All right, so tuck that away as this is developing. I hope you're tracking with us. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why is it that the blood is going on the doorposts is going to cause the Lord to pass over that house that, on his judgment? The blood on the doors was a sign. A sign of what? A sign that God's righteous judgment had been paid by the life of another. That was his sign. The judgment on this house has already been paid by an innocent victim, the lamb. Now let me declare, Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Every one of our sins deserves death because it's not because of how long we've been sinning, but because of how great an offense it is to how great of a God that it's an offense to, a rejection of. And that's the just penalty. For the wages of all sin is death. And all humans are sinners and guilty because each sin offends and rejects the almighty holy God. And someone has to pay by death for your sin. The question is, will it be you, which is what we all deserve, or will it be the sacrifice of another? Will you trust the one who all of this pointed to? the innocent lamb of God, Jesus, his son. When we do trust him and receive his sacrifice, God sees the blood of Jesus covering us and all his judgment and punishment passes right over us forever. Amen? Amen. I hope that you're grasping the symbolism that was physical 3,500 years ago has been remembered for 3,500 years and fulfilled spiritually completely and has 
us totally secure now and forever in heaven for eternity. And God is proclaiming to us, I'm speaking to you through my living, breathing, God-breathed, inspired word. Listen, let it penetrate your hearts. See what God has done. Come to him, worship him. He's speaking to you. So God has given these instructions to prepare the people to be moved from freedom, from slavery to freedom. He gave instructions to offer the lamb. Now he gives his feast for remembering the lamb. Remember the lamb. And that begins with the remembering tool, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Tools help us do things. Lots of things, all kinds of things. There are countless tools that help us do countless things. Here, God sets up the method, the tool, the method by which the Israelites will never forget how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. In 3,500 years, they have not forgotten because they have this remembering tool, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, not many of us are classic Jewish, so we have to understand what have they been doing for 3,500 years. The Passover meal, it was an evening meal, and that was to be observed by all Jewish families, households on the same night. And it has been ever since. Then that night would start a seven-day-long festival of unleavened bread. And theologians have pointed out what God is doing by putting these two things together as one. The meal, the Passover meal, and then the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. Here's the symbolism that means everything to us as a Christian, what makes us a Christian, and what Christians do as a result of that. The Passover meal shows how our salvation, our justification, we're justified, we are redeemed from our sin, we're set free, it's covered, it's paid for, it's bought by the blood of Christ. We receive it through our faith and from asking him and trusting him. That's the Passover. That was all purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We receive that. Then that seven-day festival of eating nothing but unleavened bread is a symbol of the obedient response we have to our salvation. That's what the purpose was. We celebrate what earned our salvation. And then for seven days, we set our lives in motion as obeying God. We live increasingly holy lives as we go by obeying Jesus and following Jesus in everything he commanded. And it's a lifetime of ups and downs Bumps and bruises and happiness and sadness. Successes and failures, but the failures, again, are always covered in the blood of of Jesus as we repent and confess our sins. What a beautiful picture of our faith that saves us and then all the rest of our lives. Every year, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread proclaims. Question for us, will we remember Jesus in every moment of our lives? Every moment of our lives, we think of those seven days of eating unleavened bread as a picture of every moment of our lives, day in and day out, week in and week out, do you remember Jesus and follow him every single moment? That's what he's proclaiming here. And God isn't finished helping us remember. He gave the remembering tool, the Passover dinner and the feast of unleavened bread. Now, Next, in verses 21 through 28, he gives us the teaching tool that we'll always remember. 
In verses 21 through 23, Moses repeats the Passover meal's instructions to the elders. Then in verses 24 through 28, he proclaims that the Passover is not only a way of remembering for us, but also an important means of teaching this to the next generations, teaching this to our children, teaching who God is, teaching God's judgment, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace to all generations that follow us, our kids, our grandkids, their kids, their grandkids. Read verses 24 through 27 with me. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, you know, this is a long ways into the future here. When, when you come there, as he promised, you shall keep this service for all time. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Good, kids are asking. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people did what we continue to do today, bowed their heads and worshiped. Grasp this massive point. This is who we are as God's people, as Christians. Teach our children. Ephesians 6, 4 commands this to all of us, and I'll explain why. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a constant bringing up. of all, all, Every moment of our life is centered around bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach your children. This is a command. It's a responsibility, and it's a, and it's a blessed privilege. And we've been given all these tools to do it. And today, we get to teach our children something that the children didn't understand 3,500 years ago. We get to teach them that Jesus is our Passover. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we're going to find that this Saturday, when we join together for the Passover meal, Passover Seder, we're going to find that it's a very family-friendly event. That was by design, by God's design. We've observed several Passover meals with our kids, and they remember those things. And we can't wait to do it once again with our Community Grace family this Saturday. So after the teaching tool, then what God has promised happens. And we remember God's righteous judgment, the death of the firstborn. Verses 29 through 32, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the livestock, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Just imagine. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. There's a lot of interesting thought about that last 
phrase. We should remember the severity of God, severity and his judgment and his mercy. We're all like Pharaoh. We, we all deserve God's full judgment. That's why Jesus came. But you know, a lot of people still reject Jesus. They think that they're not going to face judgment. They live like they're not going to face judgment. That they can spend their entire life as a little Pharaoh piling up pyramids of stuff and not pay any consequence for rejecting God. If they never turn to his son, Jesus, our substitute, they will end up like Pharaoh. And it is loving to proclaim that truth. that We believe from God. He has made it abundantly clear. And so we proclaim it and we remember it. And it happened. The final plague happened just as God said it would. And the deliverance of his people also happened just as he said it would. Never forget this next point, Jesus, uh, brothers and sisters. Remember God's deliverance. We don't want to forget this either. Verses 33 through 39 are the actual exodus. Here we've come to the actual exodus, the exiting of Israel from Egypt. And these verses proclaim God keeps his promises. Remember this, God keeps his promises. We don't just believe in Jesus and then not believe everything else he says, right? Right? We believe in Jesus and everything else he says. And we see some important things in these verses, 33 through 36. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. That's the unleavened bread. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked Egyptian, the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. This is so, this is so amazing. Verse 36, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Remember, God keeps his promises. Three promises, three major promises from God from the book of Genesis from earlier in history were fulfilled in this moment. Let's look at those, consider those. Number one, the fulfillment of Genesis 15, 14 where God promised that the people would be rich upon leaving the land. <laughs> Here it is. Promise fulfilled. The Egyptians gave them all their possessions as they left. The next two verses hold the next two promises. Verse 37, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. The fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, God's covenant with Abraham, Father Abraham, where the Israel nation originated. The promise was that your nation will be great. And they were no longer a clan of 70 people of Jacob that moved into Egypt. They were now 600,000 fighting men plus women and children. So it's safe to say 3 million. That's just the number I use, 3 million. Think of this, think of an enormous New York New Year's Eve celebration where more than one million people pack into New York, except last year. <laughs> uh, normally, more than one million people pack into the city square to celebrate New Year's Eve. 
Now think, think of this crowd, times three, exiting Egypt. This is a massive migration out of Egypt. Promise fulfilled. Then in verse 38, check this out. A mixed multitude also went up with them. Hmm, what does that mean? And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. God also promised to Abraham that every nation, every people group in the world would be blessed through his seed. And from then on, and from here on, every nation, every people group, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that. And guess what? We are still living under that great commission right now to reach all nations. But it starts here, and it progressed all throughout the Old Testament. A lot of surrounding nations and peoples saw the work of God and, and proclaimed their faith in God. So many of the Egyptians and other people groups around that area believed through the process of the plagues, and they went with them. They went with them. It was like Ruth saying to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. They, they went with them, a mixed multitude. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise that all nations will come to him. And at the end of time, at the end of this story, of this creation, we see in Revelation, proclaim, Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9, we see a great multitude of what? All tribes, tongues, and people groups worshiping God together. A great party. All multitudes. Another way of translating mixed multitude is ethnically diverse crowd. This is exciting. That's seeing the world as God sees it. Every ethnicity and people group is of equal value to him, and we need to proclaim the good news of freedom through Christ to everyone. Our job is to tell them the gospel, to move the world to freedom, and that's what we do. Making disciples of all nations, what comes after that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have five baptisms today. Praise God. This is what we do. We proclaim Jesus every way that he says. Now, the rest of chapter 12 repeats some of the instructions. We're not going to look over those again. Probably repeats that again in the literature because there were foreigners among them and it needed to be retold. It's pretty awesome. Now, one notable addition to the Passover instructions in this, rep, in this repeat is verse 46, the instruction not to break any of the lamb's bones in the Passover meal. And we'll see that on Saturday, not to break any of the bones. And the apostle John picks up on this and identifies this as a sign fulfilled in that none of Jesus' bones were broken. This is one of many, many hidden truths now revealed that will be emphasized in our Passover Seder this Saturday. Okay, to finish our text today, Moses writes kind of an exclamation point to all of this remembering of the Lamb in chapter 13, verses 1 through 16 giving us instructions to remember the strong hand of the Lord. This is an exclamation point to all of this. Remember the strong hand of the Lord, our mighty God, and what this does for our lives. The lesson of remembering culminates with this. We all set aside certain things for certain purposes, right? We set aside some money. We set aside some time. For, we set aside whatever for some special purpose, and that's what God says here. Remember the strong hand of the Lord by setting aside your firstborn to him. Let's see what he says, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. 
The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. This chapter repeats three times. Remember the strong hand of the Lord. Remember the strong hand of the Lord. Remember the mightiness of God in in your worship, in your teaching. The all-powerful creator and remembering God's sovereignty and his power and his control brings us so much power for our own lives and so much peace as well. So he wants us never to forget it, who he is. Never to forget it, rather to grow in our awareness of it more and more. So what's the deal with the firstborn being consecrated? The firstborn represents the entire family. It represents the entire household. So by dedicating them, they're saying, our family belongs to you, Lord. That's the first part. But deeper than that, this chapter is building the Bible's important doctrine of the firstborn. God says to redeem the firstborn, to redeem the firstborn, not to sacrifice the firstborn. Now catch this. Redeem the firstborn, not sacrifice the firstborn. No, in order to redeem them, an animal must be sacrificed. In order to consecrate them, redeem the firstborn. Usually a lamb, unless someone was too poor to afford a lamb, and then it gave provisions for some birds. An animal was sacrificed to redeem the firstborn. Stick with me here. Again, the whole entire Old Testament proclaims Jesus, proclaims Jesus. In this case, it's proclaiming that Jesus was sacrificed as the firstborn of all creation, of all of us other children, to redeem us. Now, see how Luke quotes these verses in his gospel account. In the recording of Joseph and Mary's dedication of baby Jesus, their firstborn. Luke 2, 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, their baby, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as they'd been doing for 1,500 years. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opened the womb, that's, they just quoted our verse, shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Those birds are significant here. Jesus was the ultimate firstborn, the firstborn of God. And what I think is cool here is notice that Joseph and Mary were too poor to afford a lamb. And I think God might have just providentially orchestrated them to be a poor young couple so that they bought the birds because they were already holding the Lamb of God in their hands. So at this moment, Jesus' earthly parents were giving him over to his heavenly Father to redeem us who will believe in him. 
Feel the awe of this puzzle of all of the Bible, of all of the universe, fitting together. Christ is at the center, but he brings us who believe in him right there with him. Remember that true freedom from everything that binds you, from the smallest sin that bothers you, to the eternal punishment in hell that without Christ is due you, that we deserve. True freedom from all of that comes only in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.29. And that brings us to our next steps today. Next steps that I encourage you to take right now to consider. Number one is to, you, before you can remember him, you have to receive him. If you have not today, May today be the day you do. Receive Jesus, the Lamb of God today. There's lots of different ways to hear and understand the gospel because the whole Bible is about it. It's about him and it's about you coming to him. And you can today. He's paid the, he's paid the cost for everything that binds you, that frustrates you, every sin that has affronted God. He's paid the cost. And he invites you to receive him. He's the lamb. Receive the lamb. And then, and if you want to do that and don't know how, write that on your communication card or come up. Talk to us about it. You're going to see some testimonies of that in baptism today. I just pray the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now and convicts you and brings you to him right now. Brings you to us to talk. Then number two is to remember Jesus with community grace this week. And there's a few different ways to do that. One, we have one more week to invite people to Easter. Invite people to Easter. We've been passing out those cards everywhere, just praying for divine appointments. We've been inviting our neighbors. Lord willing, they'll come. They've expressed some interest. Would you pray with us for our neighbors? I'll pray for yours. Second is the Passover Seder. Um, tickets are available today in the foyer outside and online on our website. Only until, listen to this, until Tuesday. They cut off then so we can prepare the food and everything. So you have until Tuesday, if you haven't picked up your tickets, five bucks a plate. Yes, they've been subsidized. It's going to be a great, great time. Great time for so many different reasons. Now, here's one other thing that I'd like to offer you, if you don't have this already. Uh, the instructions for the Passover meal were pr pretty simple in the, in the Old Testament, but over the, over the generations, each household has what's called a Haggadah, on my Hebrew. And of course, you read it from back to front, because Hebrew you read from right to left. Uh, this is one of my buddies back in Washington, and I, we celebrated with him and his family. And it's, it fills in all the fun activities and songs and things for the kids and, and worshipful things. Um, a Haggadah is what each tribe or clan or family has of their own. There's lots of different varieties. Uh, Tiberius Rata uh, from... Grace College was our interim pastor here two years ago, and he has his own Haggadah, and he has shared that with us and anybody who asked for it, and I'm happy to email it to you. There's a PowerPoint document and a Word document so you can lead your family, even this week, in a Passover Seder, in a Passover meal in your own house. If you'd like that and don't have that already, just on your communication card, write that. I'm, I'm going to try to make you spell Haggadah, Okay. Just put something like that, or Rata, or something like that, with your email address, and we will send it to you this week. Then, my final 
thing I'm going to urge you is to read the Holy Week text from the Gospels plus Romans 7 and 8 for Easter preparation. So remember again, the Holy Week texts in all four Gospels start with the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday. Hosanna! Read from then to the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Romans 7 and 8, freedom through Christ is coming next Sunday for Easter. Let's commit all this to God in our lives, to him in prayer right now. Lord God, we come to you with uh, very filled hearts if we're paying attention uh, to your word and your spirit. So grateful and so grateful for the opportunity to receive the lamb and to remember the lamb. Lord, I just pray that you will have your hand on this church and every person in it, exactly how you direct them. We can't wait to proclaim now the baptisms that are just around the corner as we respond in this song. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen.